Turn to John chapter 20, and we're going to read this account. The song that you just heard is as if it was being sung by Mary Magdalene and the Apostle Peter coming to the tomb and seeing Jesus and realizing that He was risen and that nothing I've ever done before matters anymore. And I'll never be the same again. And and I was thinking about this a few weeks ago. I told Pastor Thomas, I said, I want that song, I've Just Seen Jesus. And uh, I said, just find two people who can hit the notes. (laughs) And they're godly. You know, we we want them to be godly, but make sure they can hit the notes. And so um, they did a great job. But I was thinking about it, and I was thinking, what were... What was Peter thinking and what was Mary thinking when the first time they saw Jesus after the resurrection? And this is the title of the message. I think they were thinking, this changes everything. This changes everything. And I'm going to show you why I think it changed everything. Because we're going to look at Peter's life a little bit. We're going to look at Mary's, their background. And then we're going to look at one other disciple's background. And I think you'll be able to relate to every background that we look at. Because I know I can. Now, before we read John 20, let me just give you a little background on John. The book of John, obviously, was written by the disciple or the apostle John. But he refers to himself uh, in kind of a different way as he writes about himself. He refers to himself as the other disciple. Now, I believe fully in the uh, inspiration of the Scriptures, the inerrancy and the infallibility of the Scriptures. But I do know that the Scriptures, even though they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, came through human vessels. Therefore, there are some things sometimes that I read that are funny to me. So, when we read how John refers to himself, I I just think you might find it humorous. Even though you're in church, it's okay to laugh, alright? John chapter 20, verse 1. Now, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Isn't that kind of like saying Jesus is favorite? The other disciple, you know, the one Jesus liked better than the other guys. And said to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, and were going to the tomb. Now, it gets worse, I think, the way John refers to himself. So they both ran together, but the other disciple outran Peter. (laughs) And came to the tomb first. Wanted you to know that. And he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen cloth lying there, yet he did not go in. He knew it wasn't proper to enter the tomb without being invited. Then Simon Peter came following him and just ran right on into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and he saw and believed. Notice the last phrase, he saw and believed. He believed when he saw, but what did he see? He didn't see Jesus at this time. He saw only an empty tomb and grave clothes. That's all he saw. At this time, he didn't see the resurrected Christ. 
but he still believed. What's it going to take for you to see and believe? What's it going to take for you to be able to believe? Now, I want to look at the three backgrounds, as I talked about, because, again, I think we can relate to them. Here's the first background, and this is the background of Mary. It's what I call demonic bondage. This was her background, demonic bondage. Mark 16, verse 9, says, Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. He cast seven demons out of Mary. Now, I relate to Mary because I had at least seven cast out of me. I was in demonic bondage. If you have ever had a bondage in your life, some sort of a food bondage, or, or a drug, or, or an alcohol bondage, or a bondage to fear, or anxiety, or worry, or stress. If you've had any bondage in your life, or you have a bondage now, then you can relate to Mary. We don't know what the bondage was, but we know Jesus set her free from the bondage. And then, Mary and some other ladies traveled with Jesus and the disciples for about two and a half years of His ministry. Uh, she's hearing Jesus say, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. I, I am God. And she believes that. But then, she's at the cross. She sees Him scourged. She sees Him nailed to the cross. She sees Him die. And she sees the spear put in His side after He's dead and blood and water come out. Then she helps take His body off the cross. And she prepares His body for burial. She, used, she brings spices to prepare his body for burial, but the Sabbath comes, so she doesn't have time to finish the job. That's why she comes very, very early while it's still dark on Sunday, so she can finish the job. He dies. What was Mary thinking on Saturday? I'm wondering if she was hearing some voices that were saying something like this. We're coming back. Yeah, he casts us out, but he's now dead. He's not who he said he was. You thought he was the Messiah, but he's not the Messiah. And we're coming back. You think she was hearing anything like that? If that's what she was thinking on Saturday, what was she thinking on Sunday? I think she was thinking, this changes everything. This changes everything. Because he's not dead, he's alive. And I think she probably also had this thought, they're not coming back. The demons are not coming back. You see, Jesus died for your sins, but he rose for your freedom. If you're here today and you have a difficulty with a bondage in your life, here's what I'm telling you. You can be free and you can not only get free, you can stay free. Mary comes to the tomb and there are two angels there. And this is in another passage, it's in Matthew, about the two angels. And they ask a question, here's the old King James, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Let me bring that up to modern language. Why are you looking in a cemetery for someone who's alive? That's what they asked. But she still didn't believe, by the way. Did you know that? Because if you read on down in John chapter 20, you'll find that she's walking through the garden now alone, and she's crying. And a voice behind her says, why are you crying? And this is what she says, sir, sir, if you have taken him away, 
tell me where you've laid him, and I'll go get him. She didn't think he'd walked away, that he was risen. She thought someone had taken him. That's what she said to them. They've taken away the Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. So she still believes that. They've taken the Lord. Someone took him. If you've taken him away, tell me where you've taken him, and I'll go get him. And then the voice says, Mary. Mary. And she turns around and it's Jesus. Now she believes. And now, what is she thinking? This changes everything. This changes everything. Here's what I want to tell you. This is the message of Easter. Because Jesus died for your sins and rose from the grave, it changes everything. There is no bondage in your life that can keep you in bondage if you'll come to Jesus. Not one. And I know because I've been set free. Now, here's the second background. I call this background denying behavior. The denying behavior background. Obviously, now we're talking about Peter. This is his background. We're going to read a few verses, but let me just remind you that some things in the Bible could be funny. So it's okay to laugh if you see it. Matthew 26, verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, all of you, all of you, let me just, I've told you this before, but let me just ask you so we can remind ourselves, what does the Greek word for all really mean? All, that's right. (laughs) Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. Now he's going to even quote the Bible to them. He's going to back it up. This is how I know all of you are going to stumble. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Now, does it surprise you after he says this, who the disciple is that speaks up? No, the one that always says something like this. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Now, before I read this next verse, let me just tell you my personal opinion. I don't know this for sure. But there's a little thought in my mind that Jesus wasn't going to tell him about Peter denying. He wasn't going to tell him about him denying him three times until Peter said this statement. I'm I'm just kind of wondering if once Peter said this, Jesus decided to burst his bubble. To just kind of let him down, you know, hard. Even if all are made to stumble, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, hot rod, (laughs) assuredly I say to you, this night, before the rooster crows, by the way, it's already dark, in just a few hours, you will not only deny me, you will deny me three times. Peter, digging the hole deeper, said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Now, I'm not making fun of Peter. The reason I'm doing this is because this is who I relate to. Of all the disciples, this is the one I think about. The disciple that was always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, this is who I relate to. And that's what he did here. Every time Jesus would say something, Peter would say the wrong thing. One time Jesus said this. He's telling the disciples about the resurrection. 
I'm going to go to Jerusalem, going to be delivered to the chief priests and scribes. They're going to crucify me, but I'm going to rise again on the third day. This is the plan. And here's what it says. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Boy, you've got a high opinion of yourself when you rebuke the Son of God. Peter always saying the wrong things at the wrong time. And here's what he says this time. I will never, I will never, I'll never do it. Well, before you get too judgmental of Peter, let me just ask you. Have you ever said, I will never do that again? And you did it. You know what? Let's take a little poll here. How many of you have said, I will never do that again, but you did it? Can I see your hand? Yeah. That's about like the death rate, about 100%. We've all done that. You know, I got saved out of a pretty bad background. You know that. One of my friends was a compulsive gambler. And uh, I saw him after I got saved, and I was trying to share the Lord with him and all. And he said to me, I quit gambling. He said, I will never gamble again. I said, I'll bet you $100. He said, I'll take that bet. (laughs) He didn't make it one minute. (laughs) Peter didn't make it a few hours. I've done this. I've said, I'll never do it again. And I still did it. You ever done that? Well, here's the great news for you. You're in the right place. If you're a person and your background, your lifestyle is bondage, Or your lifestyle is denying behavior. In other words, saying one thing with your mouth, but saying something else with your life, you're in a good place. Because this is what church is for. Church is for people who mess up. Church is for people who make mistakes. Church is for people who fall and who say something, but don't follow through with it. That's what what church is for. If you didn't know that, you hadn't been told the right thing about church. Church is not for all the great people and all the good people and all the people who never do anything wrong. Church is for the people who do things wrong. That's what the resurrection is about. The resurrection is about that we couldn't be perfect, so He is. That's what it's about. You know, when Peter denied Him that third time and the rooster crowed, he's in the same courtyard with Jesus. He's on one side of the courtyard warming himself by the fire. Jesus is on the other side of the courtyard being beaten by the guards. But they're in the same garden area. And the Bible says that when Peter denied him the third time, immediately the rooster crowed. And then it says this, Then Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Let me ask you a question. How do you think Peter felt? Same way we feel when we do it. What do you think Peter was thinking on Saturday? He might have been thinking something like this. I'll never get to talk to him again. I'll never get to tell him how sorry I am. I'll never get to tell him how, how, how upset I am that I said that I wouldn't deny him and I did. I'll never get to tell him. I'll never talk to him again. That's what he was thinking on Saturday. What do you think he was thinking on Sunday? This changes everything. This changes everything. If you're here today and you have a difficulty like this, you've said you'd live for God, but you didn't, the resurrection can change everything for you. Same way it did for Peter. Here's the third person I will look at. He's a little farther down in in John chapter 20. 
His name's Thomas, and this is the background I would call doubting belief. John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with him when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, now, now catch this, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you, which is the appropriate thing to say after you walk through a wall. <laughs> then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know who he's talking about there? Us. Us. This morning... I was looking out the window of my house and I saw a father and a son walking down the street in the neighborhood. You know, you think that's great, a father and son walking, but it was Easter morning. I don't know if they're going to church somewhere, but I was thinking, do they know? Do they know that Jesus came and died for their sins? Do they know that He rose again? And that's what we're celebrating today? Do they know? Even though they haven't seen, do they believe? See, Thomas is the original doubting Thomas. You've heard that phrase. You know, he's just a doubting Thomas. You know, I don't know if, uh, if uh, people can, in heaven can hear what's going on on earth, but I would think if they could, every time that phrase is used, I think Thomas is thinking, shoot! <laughs> That's what I became famous for. <laughs> I wish I'd just believed like the rest of the guys. But we all can relate to Thomas. We can relate to Mary. Because we all have bondage in our lives. We can relate to Peter because we've all denied him. And we can relate to Thomas because we've all doubted. Even though we believe, we've doubted. I know doubting belief sounds like an oxymoron. You know, two words that that don't sound like they go together. Like jumbo shrimp. (laughs) Doubting belief. But it's possible to believe and still have doubts. But the great news is, if you're a believer and you've doubted, He's alive. This changes everything. He died for your sins and He rose for your freedom, for your victory. Now this happened on a Sunday. It's what we celebrate today. One week before is what we call Palm Sunday. Last Sunday would have been... Palm Sunday. We call it Palm Sunday because he rode into Jerusalem on a colt and they laid palm branches in front of him and said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Many of us know about that, but we don't know what he did after that. We kind of know the story. We just don't know it was this day. It's very significant what he did because on that day, after he rode into Jerusalem, he did something that seems totally out of character for Jesus. 
When we think of Jesus, we think of the, the scenes that we just saw in the video of Him healing people and the children coming to Him and things like that. But most of us don't think of this scene of Jesus. It seems like the only thing that He did in His life that seems contradictory to the whole way that He lived, and that is that He went to the temple on Palm Sunday, and He'd been to the temple many, many times before. Many times before. But on that day when He went, He lost it. That's what it looks like. He started turning tables over. And he had a whip, and he drove the people out of the temple with a whip. Now, that's not the image most of us have in our mind when it comes to Jesus. What got him so upset that it's like he just lost it? He'd been to temple his whole life. Since he was a little boy, he'd gone to temple. And the, this is, by the way, this is the last time that he goes to church before the cross. The last time he goes to church, he turns all the tables over and drives everybody out with a whip. It made for a very interesting deacon's meeting after that week. What, what got him so upset? Well, there's a couple of things I think got him upset. Number one, they had segregated the temple. The temple had rooms and courts where only certain people could go. It had a, a women's court, and it had a Gentile's court, and it had places where only certain priests could go, and it was segregated, and he stands up and he says, This is wrong! My father's house! This is what he says. He says, My father's... Let me just change the word just a little so you can catch it. This is what he did. He stood and he said, This is my dad's house! And my dad's house is a place of prayer for all people. No social barriers, no economic barriers, no racial barriers, and no gender barriers. It's a place of prayer for all people. And then, I think another thing that got him upset was that they were selling sacrifices. When, when uh, James Robinson preached last week, he read the verse out of Malachi, that they were selling the blind and the lame as sacrifices. I think that got him upset. You know why? Because that sacrifice was supposed to represent him. He's about to go to the cross, and he knows it. And they're selling a blind and a lame sacrifice that's supposed to represent him, but it doesn't. And here's another thing. They're selling it. Here's what got him upset. Salvation's free. It's free. You're selling the sacrifice and making people pay money for it. And he turned the money changers table over. And I think the main thing that got him upset was... You got it backwards. Because you know what he did right after he did all of the, when he turned tables over and drove them out with a whip? You know what he did then? It says he called the blind and the lame to him. Now they're selling a blind and lame sacrifice. He calls blind and lame people. Bring some, go out and get blind people and lame people and bring them to me. And they bring them to him in the temple and he heals them. Here's what he was saying. You got it backwards. You're, you're, you're selling a sacrifice that's blind and lame, but the sacrifice is supposed to be perfect. I'm the sacrifice, no blemishes, spotless, perfect. And then you're trying to get all the people to fit into a certain mold. You're telling the people, well, you've got to be this or you've got to be this to get into here, and you've got to act this way, and you've got to follow all the rules and regulations, and you're telling the people they've got to be perfect. But you're selling an imperfect sacrifice. And listen to me. Here's what he was saying. And this is the message of, of Easter. Here's what Jesus was saying that day. You've got it backwards. It's the sacrifice that's perfect. And I am the perfect sacrifice. And I'm being sacrificed for all the imperfect 
people. And all of the imperfect people can come to me. Here's what he was standing up in that temple saying. This changes everything. I've come to church for 33 and a half years and I've put up with it. But I'm not putting up with it anymore. I'm sick of it. Because this is my dad's house. And you have changed my dad's house. Instead of a place of prayer for all people and anyone can come at any time, you've made it a den of thieves. And I just want you to know that what I'm about to do changes everything. No more is church for the perfect people. From now on, church is for the imperfect people because there's been a perfect sacrifice. And I'm telling you, if you're here today and you're an imperfect person, you're in the perfect place for you. You're in the right place. Not that we're perfect, but He's perfect. If you're here and you have a problem with bondage, if you're here and you have a problem with your behavior, trying to do the right thing, but you keep doing the wrong thing. If you're here and you have a problem with belief, you, you want to believe, you try to believe, but you live a life like you don't believe. If that's you, you're in a great place. Because I'm telling you what Jesus did 2,000 years ago was said, no more rules and regulations. Church isn't about rules and regulations anymore. It's about relationship with my dad. This is my dad's house, and it's for all people, and it's for the imperfect people to be able to come to the perfect sacrifice. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here today and you're like me, and you can relate to these people, you can relate to being in bondage. You can relate to having difficulty with your behavior. You can relate to having problems with believing. Then you're like me. You're like Mary, you're like Peter, and you're like Thomas. And the great news is Jesus died for you. He died to pay for your sins. And He rose to set you free. He's alive. He's risen. He's risen indeed. If you're here today, and if you died, you don't know for sure if you'd go to heaven. You can know for sure before you leave. And I just want to take a moment and minister to you. No one's looking around. I'm the only one looking around. I just want you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a minute. Because I want to give every person an opportunity to just have a, a moment with God. If you're here today and you say, that, that's me. I got a problem with my behavior. I got a problem with bondage. I got a problem with believing. I got a problem with it. And Robert, to be honest with you and with God, if I died today, I am not sure that I'd go to heaven. I know God loves me. I know Jesus died for me. I know all of that. But to be honest, if I died today, I'm not sure that I'd go to heaven. Now, no one's looking around. But if that's you, would you just put your hand up where I can see it? Put it way up high where I can see it. Robert, pray for me. That's me. I'm not sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. Put it way up high. Way up high. Be honest. God bless you. God bless you. You can put your hands down. I want to pray with you. If that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer. As I pray out loud, you pray silently in your heart. Because you don't need to leave here not knowing. The Bible says these things were written that we might know that we have eternal life with Jesus. That we might know. You can know before you leave. Because all you have to do is ask Him to forgive you of your sins and come into your life. And mean it from your heart. 
So I want to lead you in a prayer. If you raised your hand, or even if you didn't, if you don't know for sure if you, uh, that you would go to heaven if you died, then I want you to pray this prayer in your heart. As I pray out loud, just pray this prayer in your heart to God right now. Tell Him this. Dear God, just tell Him that in your heart. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. And to come into my life and change me today. Tell him this. Tell him this right here. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me today. Now, with heads bowed and eyes still closed, how many of you prayed that prayer and you're really meant it? Put your hand up. You ought to be proud to put it up. Put it way up high. I prayed that prayer and I really meant it. I meant business with God. God bless you. God bless you. Hands all over. I'm going to ask you to do something else. And that is in just a moment, I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to stand. When we stand, I'm going to ask you to stand up and to step out and come to the front here. And there are going to be leaders here at the front. And I'm going to ask you to tell one of these leaders, I prayed, I, I gave my life to Jesus, I prayed that prayer. Here's why I'm asking you to do that. Jesus said, if you'll confess me publicly, I'll confess you. Now, no, we're not going to ask you to say something to everyone, just to the one person here at the front, just to a leader. The Bible also says, if you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Well, you believed in your heart. I'm asking you now to confess with your mouth to one of our leaders here at the front. If you're one of our leaders, by the way, we need everyone. Every one of our leaders. We may even need to stretch it all the way across the, the walls. If you're a life group leader, a deacon, um, uh, an usher, and you can pray with someone, uh, an elder, a pastor, we need every leader that we have to come this morning for altar ministry. If you prayed that prayer and you really meant business with God, here's what I want you to do. Make up your mind right now. As soon as we stand in just a moment, I'm just going to stand up and I'm going to step out and come all in one motion. If, a lot of you prayed that prayer. So make up your mind. You're going to, listen, if He died for you, you can live for Him. Go all the way with God today. So if you prayed that prayer and you really meant business with God, maybe you brought a friend and you know your friend is having a difficult time and needs prayer. You might just say to your friend, I'll go with you. If you want to go, I'll go with you. Or maybe you came with someone and you might say to the person who brought you, will you go with me? But make up your mind right now. You're going to make a commitment to God. You're not just going to attend an Easter service and try to feel better about yourself. That's not what church is about. Church is about you having a relationship with God. Not about a bunch of rules and regulations. About a relationship with Him. So I'm going to pray. After I pray, we'll stand. As soon as we stand, you just stand up and step out and come. And come to one of the leaders here at the front. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll give courage to every person who prayed that prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.